welcome to Mecha Nations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast of all things Mecha. I'm Stephen Hero. I'm the president of this council. Pleasure to meet you. I'm PMC Trilogy. I'm the secretary. Is there anything you need, I can help you out. And I'm Ignis Maddox, and I'm a member of the Swim Club. So are we having a bad day? <laughs> Looks like you missed a chance to go to heaven, Private Kururugi. So, I want to provide an important update on last week's Marion. Bum, bum, you, you may have remembered that two people were attempting to journey to Jaburo. Oh, yeah, your rival, um, yes. uh, the, sh- the shaman. The iconic fellow. shaman. Uh, when I left things off last week, I think I had gotten a 2906. Uh, since then, uh, several days after that, he got a flat 29. Wow. I got a 2844. <laughs> He came back with a twenty-eight thirty-six, and then in a row. Sorry, I beat him with a twenty-eight thirty, and then because I really wanted to put the nail in the coffin, and I thought I had a chance to really do that. Oh, I got decisive a, blow. A twenty-seven fifty-eight. Uh, at this time, Watch. that is still the world record. There you go. Uh, both of us believe that a mid twenty-seven is possible. Uh, so I'm still doing some some work <laughs> on that, uh, but. That's uh, that's where things stand right now. It is one of my submissions to GDQ or as a time of recording, and I think for the fact next week or so. So by the time this podcast drops, AGDQ 2020 submissions are open. Uh, I've submitted a few mech games. I've submitted Journey to Jaburo, uh, submitted Slave Zero, and I will be uh, submitting uh, Shogo. Also, I'll, for the first time ever, I'm going to put together a Shogo alternate ending speedrun. Oh! Uh, which I don't think anyone has routed that before. Collect all 30 masks. So, <laughs> give them to the yeah. moon children. That's right. Um, actually, I believe in the alternate ending, you go back into space uh, and kill your uh, your girlfriend's dad, who is also your boss. That is usually... Killing your girlfriend's dad is an important step yeah. in the process of, <laughs> right. of uh, getting into a committed relationship. <laughs> yes, that is... <laughs> Well, I, I don't, just came from my in-laws' place. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, it, well, it's weird too because one of the plot points in sh- the beginning of Shogo, uh, it's revealed that the ongoing conflict has claimed the lives of two of your best friends and your girlfriend, and that you are now dating your dead girlfriend's sister. But during the course of the events of Shogo, you learn spoilers that the uh, the dead girlfriend is still alive, and she's just been undercover for the past few years. Sure, 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 uh, and that your dad knew. Even though he probably also knew that you dated, what? or not, no, not your dad, uh, her dad. When did Shogo come out again? Nineteen ninety-eight, several weeks before Half Life. Ninety-eight. Yes. Hmm, interesting. I wonder if the developers were Babylon Five fans. Hmm. Although well, this would have been yeah. before a lot of those big twists happened. Spoilers, I guess, for Babylon mm. Five. A lot of those big twists yeah. happened in Babylon Five, yeah. but. That's storytelling, y'all. Sometimes yeah, storytelling. good, smart people come up with the exact same ideas, and it has nothing to do with each other. It's yep. almost like tropes aren't bad. Right. Tropes really aren't bad. It's true. I was trying to think of a Babylon 5 podcast like name, like Babbling 5. So I have one? listened to uh, one Babylon 5 podcast. As far as I know, this is the, the only one. But, uh, you know, I haven't searched every single platform, of which there are many. It's true. Um, of which, you know, Anchor distributes to a lot of. Uh, but that's not an ad. Uh, maybe there'll be an ad later. Uh, this one is called... Do, 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 do. 
the audio guide to Babylon Five, which oh, is not a that, no. Yeah. This it's is not a, a plan. Worries is that illegal? Is that legal to have a non? It's not like just, just communicate. Yeah. So I have to say, this is a podcast. First off, I think this is a very good podcast. I, okay. I it is one that has been not been running for a little while because they they finished their run through the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I'm so bad. Hopefully. I will send you a message with the notes so that you uh, can Windows. put it. Windows. <laughs> no. Everyone, please, at PMC. I'm just glad it wasn't and me And Pod. God. And shame him miserably for this. Yeah, no, I'm editing that. <laughs> Mechanations, fair. three stars. Editing wasn't stellar, and I heard it at Windows <laughs> pop up. I want most um, I, I want all of our reviews to be in the format of um, Wharf Yelp, which is to say, like, good tea, nice house. Uh, oh yeah, it's time. So I'm almost about episode twenty uh, on season uh, season one of TNG, and uh, I was telling PMC this earlier. I don't really get the hate entirely. I like season one of season one. So I, I will. I, 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 so there's a few episodes like hello, but <laughs> oh other, my god, yeah. but uh, I know I know that it's a Code Star Trek. Some one, of the characters yeah. are very plasticky. They don't really feel that comfortable in their roles yet, but I'm enjoying it. So just to finish, the the only thing I was going to say was that. Uh, Babylon 5 podcast was good, and I'll send... We'll include the mm. references yeah, yeah, for that yeah, yeah, yeah. in the show notes. I'll send that to PMC after we're done recording mm-hmm. here. But, Stephen Hero, I completely kind of agree. I, I think... Okay, so the thing about season one is that uh, it's not cool, right? Like, it's it's really not a cool yeah. show. There's no one who could argue that it's cool, right? Um, and so, for a lot of people, that's a deal-breaker, right? If, if, it, if it's the sort of thing that someone who with a low threshold for this sort of fiction could walk in and see you watching and question and say like, what are you watching? And if you're the sort of person for whom that destroys your ability to enjoy a thing, TNG season one and two and like a couple of the episodes of three are, are not for you. Yeah. Like, Cause I was always told like, like a little history here. I grew up with Voyager. My mom and I would watch it, so that was my gateway into the Trek world. Mm-hmm. And I I'm saw a few sorry. episodes of a TNG. I'm, no, <laughs> it's fine. No, I, I hold a. This is not the popular opinion that I hold. It really, really isn't. Even though that's shocking. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm not too fond of Voyager. I love the Doctor and Janeway. That's about it. Yeah, seven nine some episodes here or there, but it's a whole can of snakes. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Totally. But anyway, uh, I never saw TNG completely through its run. I've been returning to it now. And especially in these early episodes, there's oh. a distinct melancholy in some of the... Uh, like, they go to a world, they depart the world, and just the circumstances in which they depart the world, it's almost touching in some ways. The writing... It's Star Trek, so the writing's a little heavy-handed, which is fine. It's very Trek. But I'm really liking it. Or liking it. And I will probably be really liking it later. In season one, I believe, because there is the... That is the first time they do a Dixon Hill simulation yeah. i believe that's where um, i was a week ago i just finished the episode where they discover life on the terraforming oh planet. the terraforming laser the laser dodging yes. episode commence laser dodging um uh so um uh in that episode at the end there is a so um picard if you remember is super nerdy and very excited about the hall suite the holodeck pardon this is not ds9 yet uh the first time they use it and he's kind of like dorking out about it in the mclaughlin group room uh the conference room that they use uh pardon me hashtag greatest generation podcast for using some of those terms uh such a great podcast uh, uh greatest gen yeah it's pretty good but uh there's this moment where beverly beverly crusher for people the doctor uh mm, beverly uh, yeah beverly uh <laughs> uh approaches the command the captain and like 
So he was he, he was smooched by a hollow person, and so he has some hollow makeup still on him. Which, by the way, not how that's supposed to work, but that's fine, whatever. And she's like rubbing it off in a way that you, like your mom would do, like like lip, lick a napkin and rub it off of your face, like you got some gravy on or something like that. And it's really it's this great season one character moment where you can tell. They don't quite know what the relationship is between these two characters, which upon returning is like a really like, whoa, super ca- like casual moment between these two, which is like what makes season one interesting. There's also that bit in the end of that episode where the hollow, there's a hollow man who, who learns that he's a hol- holograph uh, man. Oh, he walks out. And uh, fucking no, not the guys who walk out and who disappear. And oh wait, like, when he talks, I'm Cyrus Redgrave. And when he's, he's just, talking, he's talking about Picard. Like, well, I have like, family. Do they exist? Do they exist? And Picard's like, uh. And like, no, there's the melancholy I was yeah, talking about. Right. Well, so the episode just the the thing that's crazy about it is that the episode is not about that. <laughs> it's it's the sort of stuff that it, the thing I was getting to is that you will never have a show like season one TNG ever again. Even and, like the set, the ninety sets too that like. They go to these like fifties locations in the holodeck that just won't exist ever again, even in your current Star Trek shows with a huge budget. And like you know, I will say that that's like mostly a good thing. There's a lot of stuff about season one that's really not good, specifically like Code of Honor, and there's some like a lot of the worst stuff of Star Trek is still there. Like mm-hmm. Star Trek has a toxic relationship with fathers in general, um, and you, you could see this throughout its relationship to patriarchal figures extending. Even to Captain Picard a little bit, um, at, but like it is, it, it is like the poster child for the weirdo, like hopeful sort of view of humanity. It's way too um, uh, Lady Doth protests too much about it. I would say in the like, uh, you know, we made it to the utopia, but how? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Look over here, which is in in a way comforting in that sort of like. Uh, oh, I'm I'm doing the dishes. I'm gonna put on TNG. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm glad you've been enjoying it. I hope you continue to update us. I, I'd be I'd love to hear more about hey, it. I, I didn't know you hadn't seen TNG. I only saw a few episodes here and there, and the, the films, of course. I know PMC. You uh, not that recently, but you did go. I did do a full watch of TNG. Yeah, some some years ago, and in a few chunks here and there. And I, I still have not watched any TNG films, uh, but I have seen the whole series. I have a question for both of you. Yes, and I and I think all three of us will have different answers for this. And if you want to remove this Star Trek portion okay. of our machinations yes. podcast. I, I do not blame you, but yeah. I'm very curious about this. Okay. How do each of us here on Mechanations feel about one Commander William T. Riker as a character? He's now, uh, turned, he's now ascended into meme heaven for me. But Well, well so let's, let's – I, I do want to remove – not a chance. Not once. <laughs> Complete fiction. No, we, we can't talk about Jonathan Frakes, who is a yes, treasure, yeah. of course. We, we can all accept that that is true. Right. I mean, we, I, I think for me, it's, it's hard because I feel like Riker – like the writers go strong on him in two phases. Yes. At first, he is hot Riker who fucks. Yes. Oh man. And then <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that going in. I just yeah. know bearded Riker from the films, more of an action hero. Oh, hot Riker who fucks is the the, <laughs> the the truest form of Riker in many ways. But anyway, and, and then later on, when I think they they get this idea that a TV show should be about character arcs that develop over a period of episodes, they get bogged down with this Troy Riker. Uh, thing which for me never it never paid off and i felt like honestly it, it hampered troy's character development troy getting hamstrung by the writing of tng is a you know yeah. story the whole time uh so i i think 
for me, I usually focus on those elements when Riker gets to actually just do Star Trek things. Yes. Uh, you know, for example, his holodeck episode, like uh, with the the jazz, is like a really good example of that. Oh, zero one zero zero one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I mean, when when Riker gets the opportunity to just be a a you know sort of more action oriented Star Trek officer. I think that's kind of my favorite version of Riker. I almost tend to discard those other versions of Riker because they feel so artificial. He's definitely personality-wise really in flux in season one. Yes, that's that's a, that's an issue with a few of the characters. Have you gotten to the the one that introduces Reming, where they're like under a weird investigation and it's never exactly clear what? No, the, okay, so so in that particular episode, Riker's personality is completely like inconsistent like it, it's clear that they just didn't know like in season one they i think Riker must have been them trying to cover for picard being yeah much more diplomatic and and he's stodgy very, he's and very kirk like in some regard right and that's when and you know like the reason i ask this question is because i i think uh, that Riker is meant to be taken 100 percent seriously mm-hmm. um not a chance. And I'm here... Yes, exactly. <laughs> Complete fiction. Yeah, I'm here to tell you as an audience member, at least here, Ignis Maddox here, uh, I can't. It is impossible. I don't dislike Riker the character, but for me, he is this, like, a, a almost Q-like figure that exists outside of the fiction yeah. that every once in a while plays by the same rules that everybody else does, but there's an episode that starts with Riker a- assisting some colonists, like, in a terraforming thing, and he's talking to a woman... And the woman is like, uh, "Hey, I know you brought down some wine. Would you would you like to come to my tent later? I I, I have the most memorable desserts." And and Riker goes, "My favorite part of a meal." And I'm like, "What the fuck? <laughs> who, who who thinks human beings talk about blowjobs this way? Like what? There's our episode title. Yeah, like, I know. It's it's it is." Well, you know, uh, this does relate to perhaps how a piece of fiction might approach the actions of some of its main characters, which mm-hmm. I think we will talk about yes. today. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm 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 curious to to hear more about your journey through TNG. I hope you continue this because I, I don't think have you done a, a, a run through DS9 or Void. Uh, I know. Voyager, you see. Yeah, theory, my but. plan right now is so I'm coupling it. We put a not lip- to say that you have to. Oh no, no. This we- is a, a classic nerd blunder of like, <laughs> oh, so since you've started watching this one thing, clearly you're just going to dive headfirst into the entire 50 year franchise. Well, right? yeah. Well, th- and it was strongly suggested to me going into TNG to start at season three, just Riker's beard onward. But nah. now I'm going to nope. the beginning. I would do that with any piece of media I would consume for the most part. I, I want to see that arc over time. But I'm going to start at TNG. And then I'm going to go through DS9. I might do, because it's my elliptical show, so theoretically it's just going to keep going. And I'm probably going to do Enterprise because I've never seen it. I'm curious. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. I. Mm, yeah. So. Mm, I've so, heard very bad things. Well, I've heard bad things. What I would say about Enterprise more than the rest of them is that uh, I am ill-judged to, to for that one because shows that were made at that time, for some reason, my eyes just like glaze off of mm-hmm. i just can't watch something that was made in that 2003 this is a shallow me problem i mm, i, I yeah. will own up to it like like anything like monk or bones or anything that was just on at that time i just can't pay attention to like i i like S- scott dracula a lot um the, the you know captain archer 
it, it it's not the actor's fault it's not like it's like the writers it's just rick berman is a moron <laughs> and and like thought that the only way to retain audiences was titties you know and you, it, they just didn't know they still have this problem kind of of like let's focus on this human vulcan dynamic a lot and like a lot of the staff now i, I feel like the vulcans have outlived their usefulness as this sort of like yardstick to sort of measure humanity against because we've we've constantly been making them into shitheads for all this time you know like it's it's this thing of like didn't they shoehorn spock into season two of discovery they didn't shoehorn it he he's fine i say that not having seen discovery i I will say that like you know the stuff the the start season two was fine It, it is like so hard to be a television show that have to stand on your own when you're you have to withstand all these fucking nerds who did. But as a television show, it was fine. It wasn't that great of a Star Trek season mm-hmm. as far as a thing that needs to be Star Trek. But, like, if I was watching... If I was someone who hadn't seen The Expanse yet and I was like, I love modern sci-fi television shows. What's out there? You could watch Discovery first and then The Expanse, and I don't think you'd be unhappy. Because you'd have seen the not-as-good show first. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, uh, I'm I'm happy to hearing to hear that you're uh, uh, enjoying yourself. Me here on Ignis, I don't really have no. more Fire Emblem. I'm uh, uh, I'm gonna finish it tonight. It looks like one chapter to go. Uh, I've been playing through Xenosaga. Um, I am on the cusp of coming up with some kind of way to talk about Xenosaga on this show. Stay tuned to this space. I haven't figured out exactly how, but the 26 episode anime series. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> you're that's not you're not, not getting ready to become a WoW classic content creator. When is that even? I don't even know when that's that tomorrow. That might be tomorrow. I might be tomorrow. Oh. So I, I completely out of my wheelhouse. I just. Okay. You I mean, know, I've never played WoW. Do you guys... Do you, I'm sorry, I can put this back away if well, you want. I was just going to say, do you guys want me to talk about this? Because I can. No. A, a, as long as... like WoW like, or Xenosaga? Uh, WoW. Oh. I mean, I, the Xenosaga thing, I'm going to... I, I I would like to keep that as much in, in under wraps as mm-hmm. possible, just because yeah. I, I do want to do something in this space. I just haven't figured out... Obviously, we're a sequential rewatch podcast, mm-hmm. yeah. and that kind of determines our structure, and that would be... Difficult, but not impossible to do with Xenosaga since, you know, at PMC, you can you can mm-hmm. go ahead and attest to having experienced the, the YouTube edition of it's Xenosaga true. 1, at least, um, which is to, to watch all the cutscenes mm-hmm. on YouTube. Oh, I gotcha. Um, which is an interesting sort of very, like, postmodern approach to doing, like, a podcast about a JRPG would be to <laughs> do it based purely off of the cutscenes on YouTube. There's something kind of shitposty about that that yeah. I sort of appreciate, but... That's what we all did when we pre-ordered Xenosaga Episode 2. We got the DVD, I believe, with all the cutscenes from Episode 1. Am I misremembering that? So, no, that is correct. You did get most of the cutscenes from all Episode them. 1. So, frustratingly, um, for some reason, the, the that pre-ordered DVD is edited... And is missing specifically scenes of one my favorite character, which is a real bummer, but it's fine. It, 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 the reason you can cut that character out, it's almost on purpose, but I can't get into it there. But WoW Classic, I, I'm, I've been yeah. avoiding for now because, uh, you know, PMC and Steven Hero, we've talked about not really having much in the waves of MMO experience. I know Steven Hero, you played Star Wars Galaxies for a while. I had a house on Naboo. It burned down. Um... <laughs> Uh, what is what is that meme? The the saddest story ba- baby shoes never wore. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, the, uh, I was on Naboo. I was, it burned down. <laughs> I was playing it for a month, 
Uh, I was pl- planning to play it with a mutual friend of ours back in middle school. He got the game a month later, and he watched my house burn down. Because you have to pay upkeep. You have to pay credits to keep it going. Oh, my gosh. What a good friend. <laughs> but no, um, so quick history. I played a lot of World of Warcraft. I followed it through most of its history, but but not its original inception, uh, I did not really have a working gaming PC until much later into my life. I want to say, like, probably not until junior year of high school. That sounds about right. Yeah. For, yeah. The, for the most part, if I was at LAN parties or if I was playing on, uh, games, it would be either on consoles or on borrowed PCs. Right, right. Um, so I didn't really have an opportunity to play Vanilla WoW. Um, and when I did eventually find a way to get it to run on my home potato computer, uh, the the group I would have played with, who would be our mutual friends, would have reached a point. So there's a thing that happens in MMOs called called endgame progression, right? And the way you could think about this is is almost like um, magic releases, right? Where uh, at, when at release there was a big dragon you fought, right? And then everyone fought the big dragon and succeeded or failed and got gear. And then uh, a couple of months later, a big lava man was the next thing to fight. So everyone went to go fight the big lava man. And the best way to do that would be with gear from the dragon that you assume already fought. Um, and then after the lava man came out, there was yet another dragon you could go fight. So you can imagine as someone who's coming up, there would be a problem, right? Where it's like, hey, guys, I finally made it. I am max level. I've got my... The gear that I can get from max level without doing any of the end game stuff. Am I allowed to come do the end game stuff with you? Not really. You kind of have to work your way up. And, you know, sometimes you're lucky and you get into a social situation where you have people who are happy to do that with you, to take that time to go do that older content that they don't need to do in order to get you what you need in order to participate. And, you know, there are other things you can do. You could do dungeons, you could do PvP, but. All that stuff still requires the, I don't want to say consent, but the consent of of the people you'll be playing with for the most part. And if you want to play in a particular way that isn't within the the main curve, like let's say you are a paladin, right? You, you love the flavor of that class. You just like being a crusader with holy magic on your side, right? Um, and But you like to deal damage. You don't really like to do, to take the responsibility of being a healer or a tank. Um, unfortunately... You don't deal damage as well as some of the other damage dealing classes, and so it's more useful for you to do this other thing that you don't like to do, even though... But So if you're with friends, that's fine. Friends don't give a shit. Whatever. You could do less than optimum damage. But strangers don't have as good a reason to take you if you're not in your optimum. So, long story short, I wasn't able to experience the endgame of classic World of Warcraft for, for no other reason than time. I yeah, just adopted right. it late. Yeah. So I don't have any nostalgia for it and it's, you know, people who like it will tell you it's it's tedious. Like it is people who like it like it because it is a type of gameplay style that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And like that I, there's a, there's the amount to that that I get, right? Be, because that's why you return to not everybody, but that's why you return to say like Warcraft 3 or you, even though RTS is, exists as a genre still, it's still a kind of RTS that you don't really play in a modern way anymore. This is kind of a rare thing, you know? There aren't that many times where... Like, you get re-releases and stuff like right. that. But with online games in this context, like PMC, I'm sure you can appreciate how 
you know, the, the nightmare of cataloging the different iterations yeah. that exist in right. World of Warcraft. So, like, even though this isn't even quite that, this is like an emulation of that original, you know, there is an audience for this. It just doesn't include me because yeah. I, I don't have any nostalgia for... Like, I, I, the, I don't regret any of the time I put in at that time, but for me... Like, I don't actually need there to be a time sink in order to produce, like, a feeling of satisfaction from mm-hmm. that sort of game yeah, in the way yeah. that other people seem to. I've, I liked, I've liked every single time they've made World of Warcraft easier. Like, this current iteration where it's fairly easy to play the endgame content by yourself is good. Mm-hmm. I yeah. played for a video game. I should be able to experience it. Yeah. I think with that, that's when people like pine for the like Final Fantasy XI, for example, just how brutal that game can be. They really are just pining. They want to be back in early high school and they have the time with their friends and go back. See, I, I agree with that to an extent, but I, I do want to like, I want to, I, I don't want to cast necessarily because I think people are dismissive of this and, and with, and they use the term nostalgia, right? And they're using the term nostalgia in a, in a bad sense. And I, and I think that that's true, that it is a nostalgia based thing, right? But I do also think, that there is a comfort to a particular gameplay style. So like PMC, there is a sort of feeling among people who like a very particular game that, that further iterations of that game, even though they made improvements, those improvements somehow lost the soul mm-hmm. of yes. whatever was yeah. was good in the original one. So even though the, the newer... So Mass Effect 2 is a good example of this, right? Mass Effect 2 is, by all accounts, an improvement on the gameplay of Mass Effect 1, right? But even there, you would, you could, you would relent that there's something yeah. lost, there right and and so it's a net gain but you can sort of see how people who and i'm not even not one of those people i love mass effect one like mass effect one is in the same way that tng season one is this sort of weird beautiful thing like we're never going to get something like mass effect one ever again probably not probably not yeah (laughs) yeah so i can sort of see how the the level of comfort and appreciation for just that level even though it's i find it tedious and not fun to, for so those people who find it fun, it, it adds that level of adventure, mm-hmm. that, that verisimilitude we've talked about before, right? Like, I don't need that to get into the head of my space goat with plate armor, yeah. right? I right. don't need that help. Right. But some people do, and yeah. I'm, not, I'm yeah. not disparaging it. I just, I don't really get it. And I'm not even saying I'm immune. Like, if enough of our crew ends up jumping back in, I probably will. I don't dislike World of Warcraft. Like it's it's just that, you know, the 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 longer er story short, the real reason is that there's no class gameplay that vanilla represents that I feel a, a great need to re-experience. Mm-hmm. That's and and so without the group saying like, "Hey, Ignis, you're really good at this like utility role. Could you come be our XYZ?" I don't feel an impetus yeah. to dip back yeah. in. All right. Well, that's good. I, the main reason I asked, honestly, was just because you had touched on Final Fantasy fourteen before. And so I was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll touch on the MMO I, news of the day just to see what, you know, you had to say. So on the flip side there, Final Fantasy fourteen has been a joy because it's very enjoyable mm-hmm. solo. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It is. I, I like just playing an RPG by myself. Yeah. <laughs> RPGs are fun. <laughs> 
Congratulations! The only nightmare of its kind awaits you. Once you take the controls of this big beauty, everything will change. You and your world. Whether you want it to or not. You know what else is fun? Uh, Rebellion? Chess. Chess. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, he does find a chess piece mm, that he fondles for episode yes. two. Yes, yes, yes. Let us insert our USB dongle keys into our nightmare frames and enter into the world of Code Gas. What's the full title? The Lucha the Resu- Resu- Revolution? Mm-hmm. The Rebellion. I thought oh, Lucha yeah. the Rebellion. Is rebellion. it Lucha the Rebellion? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so episode two, The White Knight Appears. Oh, man. Mmm. Can't wait. We'll be able to talk about mechs on our mech yeah, show. I know, on our Can mech you believe bot. it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, Lelouch, upon successfully surviving his encounter with death, is confronted with more death. Wouldn't you believe it? Thankfully, he uses his special eyes to, <laughs> to get the nifty USB key to the nightmare frame and drive off, leaving Valletta, whose name has not been told to us, of course, confused and alone in a room full of corpses. The resistance against the Britannian regime is uh, shepherding citizenry to safety, but it is only a matter of time before the superior arms of the regime overpowers them. That is, until Lelouch enters the picture and begins to provide strategic advice to the resistance forces. Everything was GG, and then it wasn't GG. It was BG. As Lloyd offers Suzaku, ironically, due to his strong romantic ties to the main character, the opportunity to pilot the latest 7th generation nightmare frame, the Lancelot. The Lancelot, powered by something called the Yggdrasil Drive, is easily able to overcome the resistance forces and tracks down the Luch. Thankfully, Suzaku is like a golden retriever and is distracted by falling innocence, which gives the Luch the opportunity to escape. In the scramble, the Luch seizes the opportunity, oh boy, not great writing on my part, to sneak in and threaten Clovis at gunpoint, demanding he th- order the retreat of the forces from Shinjuku. Which basically brings us to the end of episode it's two. It's true. Uh, what did you guys think of the second episode? Right off the bat, uh, the the pace is breakneck, and I think I'll talk about it now because I just mentioned it. I think it suits the show well because when the show is best in motion, when it's moving forward, I compared it to romantic literature before. I'll compare it compared a few times to the Count of Monte Cristo, for example, a revenge tale. Yeah, the symbolism is very much present, and it's very obvious as well. Chess pieces, um, for example, the symbolism of the antique pocket watch that saves Suzaku. I'm sure that is in some way symbolic, and I'm sure that is in some way connected to Lelouch. I was going yet? to say, if that wasn't a gift from Lelouch, I will eat my head. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Everyone talks very dramatically. Lots of dramatic monologues, almost Shakespearean. Sweeping arm movements is a big thing. Uh, Lelouch does that a lot. Uh, the move, uh, the characters, not motivations, but the actions. Sometimes a lot of Deus Ex Machina. Uh, sometimes it's inexplicable. It just has to keep moving forward. It's best in motion because it's not a thoughtful show. It's really uh, masterful in its dramatic beats. Yes, yes, it's really, really good at emphasizing when the kidney punch is going to be the most effective. I don't think we're going to continue to see that through the show. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. really good at this in a way that some of the other stuff we've watched really hasn't, although has been strong on thematic or, or, or plot content in some shows really have dropped the ball on this sort of storytelling beat. I really appreciated the, one of the uh, problems with genre fiction in general is the, the struggle of how much do you need to hold your audience's hand for different you know, science fiction ideas or tropes, you know, uh, and this is tough. You can't always get this right. We've reached a point now with mainstream cinema where a lot of stuff, like if you see energy blocking an attack, 
you now, most audiences now understand that to be like some kind of shield, right? Even though that's a, that's not a thing that we would ever interact with in real life. Like the closest thing we would have to that would be like glass, right? Or something to that effect. Yeah. Code Geass, I, I appreciate how little it's stopping to do that. Yeah. Sometimes it's adorable when, when things do that or, or I appreciate it. Although sometimes it, it edges into one of the things that sucks about being a mecha fan is that you, you will brush up against the military fetishism that, that I, I'm not super into, but I don't necessarily hate other people being into, but it's, you know, like Shin Godzilla has a lot of this because Ano is that yeah. kind of person. Or any Kojima game. Right. Ko- 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 Kojima, I, I feel like there's just this, like, in, in a sort of William T. Riker way, I have a really hard time taking him very seriously about th- that sort of thing, but in a way that is difficult to explain. Yeah, thoroughly. I think with, with someone like Kojima, just to touch on that briefly, I think you're also seeing sort of secondhand military fetishism because Kojima's is really via Hollywood, right? right? And mm-hmm. I think that whenever you see influences like that, it's always interesting to me to consider the vector through which that influence was encountered. Uh, you know, Hollywood movies are, of course, a great spreader from the 80s and 90s of that sort of military fetishism. So one thing I will... Um, the reason I brought all this up is because one of the first things we see happen in this episode is that Lelouch uh, attempts to use his special brand on um, Valletta in her Nightmare Frame, and it doesn't work. And this is good writing, because it is Lelouch uh, attempting a thing that worked previously, and we're now shown in a situation where it didn't work, and so now we know a rule, right? Yeah. A, a rule for the special brand is that it doesn't work unless someone is looking actually at him. I'm going to call this out because this this example of it is good writing, and we're going to see more examples of it, and we'll talk about it when that happens. Yes. Yeah, there's some other very subtle instances of world building I'm going to call out. Things that we don't need a whole exposition dump, like when he's talking to Valletta and he asks, since I am a noble, I require your protection. Oh. Which also signals that this is a feudal society, and he, as a lord, no, she is his vassal, essentially, based on how this society is structured. But we don't need to be given a dictionary definition of how this society operates. And it's these subtleties. I'm actually surprised, is what I knew. Kogi yes, fucks up a lot of shit, and it's very in your face and blatant. But there's some surprising elements of subtlety. Even like when he Lloyd is talking to Suzaku about uh, U11s believe that gods live inside of everything, even objects don't. Yeah, a nod to Shintoism. He's it's talking these about small Shintoism. little details, which yeah. I actually like. In that same line, I was really interested, and this I think touches again on the feudalism idea: is that piloting a nightmare makes you a knight? Yeah, I, that, and it, that didn't occur to me until episode two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, the w- one of the things I want to call out before we move on is: um, Do you like Lelouch's uh, uh, his cover name? Alan Spencer. I, I liked that a lot. I, I, I looked it up to see if it was a reference to anything. No, I, I, I the, the thing it made me think of is, is um, fucking Metal Gear, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of, um, <laughs> what does Snake tell Ryden his name is? It's, it's oh, Pliskin, Iroquois right? Iroquois Pliskin. Iroquois yeah. Pliskin. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> correct. That's correct. The best in Metal Gear Solid 2 is when uh, Iroquois Pliskin, that man is not Solid Snake. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Alan Spencer does sound like a made-up name, though. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does sound oh, super yeah. made-up. I liked it the first, like the very first line of episode two. Luch having now signed the contract is like, "Oh, w- what did you want me to do? Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> like, I, ooh, uh, what did yeah. I sign again? I, oh no. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, uh, I somewhere I felt um, uh, uh, Ultra David shiver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
You did what, mate? <laughs> um, so I enjoy, I really enjoy um, Lloyd and his assistant, who I've been referring to as um, Hojo Pervert and Mie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I really enjoy them rescuing Suzaku and this whole situation. You, you, you heard in my uh, summary, you know, I... I'm pretty explicitly on the Lelouch and Suzaku are our romantic thing train, uh, and I and all of these tropes that they're dealing with are are ones that, you know, we as as a a pretty, uh, uh, you know, homophobic society have have typically been able to double think into, oh, when two dudes are doing this, this is just friendship. This is just solid friendship but if we saw this between let's just say if this if suzaku was colin right if suzaku was colin this would be we would read this as possible yeah. romantic tr- intense right? yeah romantic tension. um so this is how i'm i'm choosing to interpret and move forward with the story from here on um and i think that it really adds a lot of where i think code gas fails to interpret its own plot i i think it, it suffers with this yes. and we'll talk about this as things happen i think it is brilliant in its character development its character dynamics are really strong and Mm -hmm. and in a way that makes me want to continue watching the show even though i'm offended by its attitudes um you know we'll get into it but um the show thinks that the resistance fighters are dummies for resisting you know it, it kind of acknowledges that they're they're noble in what they do and, and they are explicit. Well, not explicit. I would say they very subtly note that the, the resistance fighters are shepherding the, the, the citizens of Shinjuku to safety. But we'll later see that the resistance fighters also are kind of shitty to the soldier, to the Shinjuku citizenry in a way that like really doesn't paint them in a positive light. They're, yeah. they're shown to be kind of scrambling. Lelouch is, is you know, he, he says that they're useless a couple of times. Yeah. Thanks, um, Lelouch. But, like, if you think about them and their position, the fact that they've managed to get even one shitty nightmare is enormous. Like, what they've already accomplished, they've stolen whatever the fuck Pizza Hut is supposed to be. <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll, we will refer to her name when we learn it. I promise you, yeah. audience. Um but, like, it is, in a lot of ways, really tough for me, even though this isn't something that the plot is concerned mm-hmm. with, right? Yeah. So I need to, as an audience member, I don't need to, but I'm yeah. choosing to because of our project. Right, right, right. Put that away because it it causes the whole structure to crumble, right? Yeah. Um, because the show doesn't feel this way about Lelouch. The show thinks Lelouch is great. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to be getting into this in episode two, but that's sort of uh, especially an issue, which is that I'm, I guess I, and maybe this is obvious to bring up now, but watching episode two especially, and then and, and the gambit in episode three really puts me in mind of uh, I feel like I'm watching Death Note again. So this is this is the reason why I brought it up in our, yeah, in our first episode right. is because it's so of the time. Um, there's there was this this thing of. Of of fiction that that had antiheroes that were non critical of the antiheroes, right? And and I think the the perception was that the, the the work didn't need to be critical of its antiheroes because it was expected that the audience would bring that understanding uh, that that natural that assumption of obviously what this person is doing is wrong, but mm-hmm. but it's a tight walk to rope at times because if you take a look at 
just to go on a quick tangent, but like we're in the golden age of television, which was like, you know, if you buy that, it was inaugurated by like The Sopranos, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, all three which feature antiheroes. Right. And there are times which some of the shows, they revel in how cool or the stylistics of their main character and others or other episodes are very hypercritical. Like Sopranos overall is very hypercritical of Tony Soprano as a mobster. Right. But episodes of Mad Men, for example... Yes, they are critical of Don Draper's behavior, but also they really aestheticize the time period and just Don as a super cool dude. Right. So so there's this thing of you could make the argument. You could if you acknowledge that, it's like, well, yeah, we, we weren't critical of Don Draper, but we wanted our show to be about how Don Draper was cool. Right. But you can but well, people hold on. Want, there's people who would argue I mean, Mad Men is a critical show at times. I well, don't want to say it's well, not. What, but the point that I'm saying is that that if they i'm just saying hypothetically if oh, if yeah. mad men wasn't mm-hmm. if someone came out and was like well we made a show where we weren't going to be critical of our cool guy like you can have shows that are like that where but you should acknowledge that and acknowledge that that's shitty and bad right and the problem with death note for me as an audience member ignismatics not not as a mm-hmm. general critical apparatus is that the show really thinks it's shitty protagonist rules. Oh, and, yeah. And I don't. <laughs> right. And that's the problem is that there's the show. The most the show does is the inevitability that that light will destroy himself. But right. like, it never really says this is good and just and necessary. Right. Exactly. Yes. And, and you know, so one of the problems with not problems, but one of the things you have to consider when you're telling a story like that or when you're engaging with a story like that is that. The audience is getting visual information, and that visual information is going to be what matters. Mm-hmm. You could be told a million, zillion, trillion different things, but if the visual information contradicts that, that visual information is what is going to win out. There is an excellent video by Lindsay Ellis in her uh, Whole Plate series about the Transformers films, mm-hmm. uh, where she talks about Megan Fox in particular, um, and she talks about how... There's uh in in that the first Transformers film where uh, Megan Fox is looking under Bumblebee's hood. There's a lot of character information that's being uh, conveyed there, but none of it is what the audience takes away from that scene because of uh, Megan Fox being uh, presented in that as an object. Right, that's what you take away from that scene. And I think that when you have these protagonists who are antiheroes who act in this way. Uh, I think that that people have this tendency to not be honest about what I find exciting about this character is that uh, they act in this bad way and then the show lets them get away with it and treats them as cool. And, and I think that that's fine to acknowledge. I just think that there's this weird sort of like if you say that out loud, then the spell is broken. Right. And, and it, your mileage may vary with those. Right. That's just all there is to it. It's, there's plenty of uh, antiheroes who I'm a big Dr. Doom fan. Mm-hmm. Dr. Doom is a bad man. Yep. <laughs> you know, like Dr. Doom does bad things. He's a fascist. He's uh, one time he killed his girlfriend to make hell armor out of comic books are bad sometimes. Yeah, that's a little vicious. Um, but, you know, the, the important thing about enjoying characters like that is is acknowledging like oh what i like is this narrative thing that they represent and not like oh i want to be a person like that who can act with impunity or is a super genius at tactics and sitting in his building and giving these puny resistance fighters everything they need to be completely successful until this completely unpredictable thing ruins his perfect plan like while and then you know in this first episode that we've watched for this week it's not quite as 
harsh, right? Because the thing that it's playing against is the Amaro Ray, like indecisiveness and and like lack of skill you know like amuro ray is able to get into the gundam and successfully defeat the zeon uh Mm -hmm. that are attacking there but in his is you know lack of experience he blows up the nuclear reactor and he causes more damage right yeah suzaku is doing the i'm sorry lelouch (laughs) is doing the opposite of that he is as we see in the chess match he is able to take an unwinnable position or what's supposed to be unwinnable and end up winning it, right? Because the narrative yeah. says so. Yep. And I'm not even saying as an audience member, I, I sat here and didn't enjoy it, right? Because on a strictly platonic level, there is a... You can see dramatically where this is going, right? right? It, where Lelouch is repeating what we saw in episode one. He leads with the king and then he plays that advantage into a way that he can clear the whole board. Right, but we're also setting up this, this context of this person who is not invested in uh, liberation, right? Yes. He is not invested in the liberation of people. He is invested in his own... Uh, and, and you know what? We'll even learn there's texture to his own yeah. uh, his own needs in episode three, and of which I want to get into and highlight because I think it's one of the things that I'm because I will be I will be talking some shit about Code Geass, but mm-hmm. there, one of the things that is is really really good about Code Geass is this. But yeah, we'll yeah, get definitely. There. Yeah, and um, I do want to focus on one thing because we're talking about how uncritical the show can be and superficial and sometimes thoughtless. I want to talk about. Ogi's shirt real quick as a resistance fighter he has what is clearly a reference to the star of David oh boy, taking yeah. the show iconography and if you even think about Shinjuku for example it's very reminiscent of the Warsaw Uprising All right, by itself this isn't inherently problematic I suppose tangential to problematic content However, w- sorry go ahead so, what, do you want to jump in? well all I was going to say is I, in my opinion this is only as embarrassing as Red Dawn, mm-hmm. you know, where at any time a, 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 a place pr- creates some kind of uh, a fiction that, that puts themselves in a sort of like overly, not overly oppressed position, but a position that they haven't traditionally been in in order to reinforce some kind of nationalist or a patriotic feeling. Like, I, I'm not even saying that these are all completely... Because Red Dawn is a silly movie, but but you understand what I'm saying, yeah, where it's, yeah. it's like equally as like... Like, for me, I have a hard time enjoying that sort of stuff. I get this, like... Or, like, you know what a better example of this is? Is, is Mel Gibson's The Patriot, right? <laughs> Mel Gibson's The Patriot is, like, a cartoon, right? And, and like, that's sort of how I feel when I watch... But I agree with you that, that, that using that imagery is, like... Yeah, the show really plays fast and loose with it. I don't think Super it's malignant, but it's, yeah. it's tone-deaf and thoughtless. Especially so because the show erases the imperial legacy of Japan... And makes the Japanese the oppre- uh, you know the victims, not the oppressors. And then taking, you know, the Star of David, placing it on the jacket to signify that they are an oppressed people, but also forgetting that you know Imperial Japan was allied politically to Nazi Germany. Right. So, so let let me be clear. So here. that's like a double level of thoughtlessness. I I don't think the cartoonish level of villainy that the the white people are engaging in in this show is out of the question. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the the way that they are positioning it to us so far is a comical amount for the audience to sympathize with, right? There is no, like, you'd have to be some kind of contrarian to sit there and be like, well, maybe the Britannians are all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's you'd have to be some kind of, and, and, and that's where I get a little bit side face about this, right? Yeah, like, that's yeah. exactly the same with um, the Patriots' main villain 
is like a comical. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, but it's a guy he, who plays Lucius in the, he was in Star Trek Discovery too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jason yeah. Isaacs. Jason yeah. Isaacs is is a comical British right. bad guy who at one point seals people into a church and burns them. Like a thing that I I believe the movie probably got flack for from uh you know the uh, mm-hmm. like uh, uh I think I even remember reading about this. Yeah, because it's. Probably equally true for any yeah, people right, of our right. time. I mean, I think it's telling that in order to allow the structure of the plot to take place where Suzaku is unknowingly opposing Luluch, Suzaku has to be operating under like the most convenient amount of like lies and d- misinformation. You know, Suzaku is the only one on the show who probably believes that the murders in Neo Shinjuku are the result of poison gas. Like, no one else is thinking that. <laughs> Suzaku is something we'll, we'll have to talk about a lot because he is an idiot. Yep. He's very stupid. But we will. T- but I also think he's really interesting. But we'll, we'll get there. Right, we'll get um, there. So, I guess now we should talk about a mech. Do you guys want to take a second to talk about... Can I can I work our way up to a mech? Sure, sure, by, sure, sure. By talking, uh, this is my my spec fic alert. Uh, this show made uh, in the late two uh, thousands, that decade, uh, before we really lived in the universe where there were only smartphones. And what's interesting is that everyone at this point has very ornate flip phones. And I think you, uh, Ignis just tapped his ear to me. And uh, that's telling because I think he and I are thinking the same thing, which is that uh, uh, what's-her-face, not not Shirley. Bleach character. Shirley? Shirley. Okay. Orange hair, Shirley. Yes. Uh, she is, uh, at, when she's getting dressed, she, she picks up the phone, answers the phone, and then... Uh, like very seamlessly clips it to her ear. Yes. Um, which is, I guess, a feature of the phone or an accessory of the phone. But everyone else also has these uh, these flip phones, uh, and it's just really it's interesting to me because I think at that point uh, cell phones were ubiquitous. We had discussed a little bit of mm-hmm. the n- nature of presence Especially of cell phones in, in episode one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they weren't smartphones yet. They weren't what you know what we think of as your ubiquitous phone today no. in 2019. Just a little kind of interesting detail in the way that, you know, technological trends affect art. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it reminded me more of the, you know, now we have, like, Bluetooth headsets that are equivalent to what um, Shirley's using in that scene. I do also want to shout out Clamp's excellent, enormous praying mantis uh, torsos and abdomens Mm -hmm. that everyone has. Good job, Clamp. But uh, it also reminded me of in uh, Star Trek TOS, uh, Uhura uses a communication device that sits in, in the ear and looks very uncomfortable. And it reminded me of the device that Shirley's using in that scene. Uh, I also thought that was a pretty smart bit of reconnaissance on Lelouch's part to see what, what is being publicized about the Shinjuku raids mm-hmm. to, to, to try and use that to gather information. Yes. And it also gives him the opportunity to apparently pick up chess pieces. <laughs> off the ground <laughs> that's peak lelouch just yeah. a cold calculating commander well so it's funny too because the the thing that they're tricking not tricking you but the thing that's that's happening is uh, uh something that that uh the gun and wing intro uh, uses a lot which is the the image of like children's toys damaged children's toys in war to to sort of like stand in for the tragedy or the the the, the um casualties of war um, but really, it, it was Lelouch. He was like, "Oh shit, a chess piece! Fuck yeah. chess piece! I yeah, can fondle this right. through the entire I, match." <laughs> I, I thought it really was a moment at first, you know, of of Lelouch being like, "Damn, the carnage of war is is terrible." Like, the, you know, I I play chess all the time, but I won't expect to be in a war zone. Uh, but really, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm like, "No, he just wanted some chess pieces." 
Yeah, no, it, that's exactly right. Does this the point where we see the um, sound only on the uh, the the mechs yet? Because I wanted to see, give a big shout out to, to Evangelion for for popularizing that. There's a lot of I think so. There's a lot of sound only. Either it was either here or it's when Lloyd and Miang are talking to Suzaku in in the uh, the Lancelot. Um, uh, you know, one thing I want to bring up about uh, Lloyd and uh, Miang and Suzaku and the Lancelot was that do we want to explain? Why we're referring to the assistant as Miang? Yeah, not everyone might have uh, yeah. played. Xenogears. Yeah, so in Xenogears, uh, there is a character with a similar hair color who, who's in a similar role, right? Who, who, who yes, who, who acts and sort of pretends to be an assistant to uh, to an early character. Uh, and you know, operates in that role for much of the beginning of the game. Yeah, but what were you saying about Lloyd? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Is um, they they say that if you pilot Lancelot, you and your world will change, which is an interesting bit of parallelism to what is happening to uh, to Lelouch, where Lelouch is told by Pizza Hut in the first episode that his world will change. Right, exactly. It's and uh, I think this is no season. The next episode is when we'll see some more. Because that's when we see the lab where it looks like uh, Pizza Hut was broken out. Of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at this rate, the the uh, the Lancelot is revealed. Um, before I get into it, because I know how I felt about it. How did you guys feel about the Lancelot? I like the design a lot. The gold complements the white very nicely. Very clean, like a, the tall geese three with the blue and the white. And also, I like how it moves. I don't really know if I like white Max. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I I think so. Um, even like. The Gundam and New Gundam, like you're not into sort of, or do you think their off-white eggshell sort of color makes it work for you? I think I think those work. I think the uh, the more bulbous nature. I think the sharp angular with the white is is what's what's off-putting for me. I find, uh, and maybe this is what Steven said earlier, that the Lancelot is at its best in the way that it moves. Uh, it is very very satisfying when it moves. Um, but I think just this sort of a design, the white and gold. I don't know if I really like white and gold. Interesting. Cool. I definitely think cool, it fits. Cool, cool. It's supposed to be very ostentatious, of yeah. course. Yeah, oh, right, of course. Yeah. It's called Lancelot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this might be my favorite mech we've talked about on the show so far. Uh, I'm big into Arthurian lore of all kind. Uh, Lancelot is a hilarious uh, William T. Riker figure in in the French version of of Arthur. This is the perfect sort of dopey this is the equivalent of giving lelouch the hamnet book last episode uh have have any of you uh recently pmc tweeted out something that reminded me um uh steven here you've seen the gosh what's his name version of hamlet uh kenneth Branagh. yeah kenneth Branagh yeah. version of hamlet uh do you know the way he does that line the words 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 line it's more comical it's crazy he goes words words <laughs> like the last way he says that line is wild and i was thinking about lelouch <laughs> like that but in any case uh the i'm completely opposite pmc i love the white and gold trim it's so perfect for a a royal knight sort of mech the way that he he that shot where we see the point of view of the resistance fighter who can't follow his movements is perfect it's so hard to convey that kind of speed in in a show directly like a lot of shows will do a lot of mediums will do a lot of indirect storytelling to do that like dragon ball z has a harder time with this you'll you'll notice the the disappearing reappearing thing is how they do faster than you can follow speed uh togashi yu yu Hakusho show and hunter hunter does this thing often where he will 
recap the scene in order to explain the the speed. And in this case, this was a pretty interesting way of showing, you know, in a sort of horror movie way. It's a really great reveal for this mech because this is otherwise the heroic mech, right? The the white and the gold, uh, Suzaku, our handsome young hero, and he's fighting off the terrorists. You'll, you'll note in my summary, I, I never referred to them as terrorists, by the way. Um, the language of the oppressor. Right. Well, exactly, right? It's, it's this, you know... The, the resistance fighters. The show is very careful to... Or not very careful. I, I will give the show credit in that it's, it's uh, often pretty specific the kind of language the bad guys use. It's just that as a show, it doesn't, isn't concerned with critiquing that. And so the audience doesn't necessarily have time to do that unless you're already that sort of person, right? Yeah. So in any case, the Lancelot fucks everything up. Completely dominates everything. The music's uh, super cool, too. I think some trumpets. It's definitely... It complements the scene really well. It's, it's a great discordant scene for an audience member because uh, you're sitting there like, yes, Lelouch is winning. Oh, no, Lelouch is losing, and it's because of his boyfriend. And his boyfriend has a really cool new sword. And uh, watching the the moment where the Lancelot is just cutting through all these things, it's like a, like a slasher villain, right? Mm-hmm. But it's this heroic mech. They've really done a good job of crossing your wires visually and, and you know, uh, with, with those, that sort of imagery that you're used to. And, and I want to give it credit for that. Where I won't give it credit is... I I feel like the show deserves a demerit. I want to write it should it should see me after class. Yes. For having Suzaku being distracted by falling innocence. <laughs> like it's just okay, it's it's good for his character, right? Because what we here's here's what we understand about Suzaku. Um he is a Japanese person who has joined the Britannian army for reasons we don't understand, right? Now we know because he chooses to save these civilians. He's not a bad person who wants to hurt Japanese people, which is one reason why you might join the Britannian forces. So he has some other motive. I have I have a suspicion about what the motive might be that he might be the sort of person who's like, "No, man, we should we should play by the rules and and change the system from the inside." He is very reformist. Like I think in his mind, like the show wants you to like Suzaku employs violence to end violence. At least that's what the show publicly proclaims while Lelouch employs violence to create more violence but he's definitely very status quo reforming yeah. from the inside Suzaku believes that the rule of law will protect you yes right he doesn't but like in order to to be that stupid he has to explicitly ignore the things that are happening around him and that's frustrating and because, like eagerly accept obvious lies right and and the thing to to really criticize is that the show by Putting me in a position as someone who is critical and, and making explicit that Lelouch is such a, a weenus, a, a, a dick, that, you know, Suzaku then, by just what the show is telling me in its story, is the correct one, right? Because he's a, he's the heroic mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. He's sitting here and he's, he's like, like, Lelouch could give a fuck who's in those buildings that he's shooting, right? Like... Yeah, he's an anarchist without the ideological rigor, basically. Just, or the commitment L- to, like, breaking the chains that bind us. Lelouch, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Well, Lelouch, as far as we understand... He wants to get vengeance. As of season... Yeah. Uh, season. Episode two is he wants to hurt Britannia for his yes. own reasons we don't understand yet, other than they suck, which they... 
Clearly do. Explicitly do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but for him, the body count doesn't matter. And not just necessarily even Britannians yeah. either. Lelouch very strongly feels, and this is made explicit now and gets even more explicit in episode three, is that not only does he feel that the ends justify the means, but like he actively wants to invoke and like uh, embody that. Right. So due to the falling innocence, Suzaku uh, allows Lelouch, or Lelouch takes the opportunity to escape in his nightmare frame. Um, he, he, he ganks some... Uh, uh, Resident Evil 2 uh, Grunt. What is that character's name? It's not Grunt. Hunk. I called him Grunt last time. Hunk. Hunk thank yeah. you. Oh, Hunk, Hunk armor. I was going to well actually you, and I was like, you know, it's not worth no, it. No, fair <laughs> enough. No, no, no. I'm glad that we were addressing it now, because yeah. I did say Grunt last yeah. time, and I meant Hunk. He steals some of that Hunk body armor yep. um, and makes his way to the White Castle that Clovis is That's in. That's right. Um, Want some sliders. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it is implied later, we learn later, that he uses his, his special brand to get past all of Clovis's, re- uh, you know, accoutrement and make his way to Clovis and force him under duress to end the Shinjuku purge. Yep. Right? All forces need to end all engagement and just leave the area. Um, and at the end of episode two, Lelouch reveals to Clovis his true identity, Lelouch v. Britannia, who we as an audience learn... Clovis did not know was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, as people who exist in the real world, understood through just Netflix summaries that he was living a double life, but we we didn't really know the context of that yet. So now we know a little bit more that he is a sort of like uh, uh, what's the the Game of Thrones equivalent? Aegon, the one of the Aegons. Oh, Fagin. Fagin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wh- which is the one? Isn't there a secret other? There's a, there's a fake Aegon yeah. who shows oh, up only Aegon. in the books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. He, he's in Dance of Dragons. Yes. The, yeah. th- I guess that would be the equivalent, right. except unless he was real. Well, who knows? Martin hasn't written the other books yet. Well, what I'm saying <laughs> is that no, we, we trust that Lelouch <laughs> yeah. is actually a yes. Britannian. Yes. Like you know, yeah. there's no reason to suspect to, to doubt that yeah, at yeah, this yeah. time. Um. Yeah, when this happens, like, man, in another show, this could be, like, the mid-season boss. I really... a better term. I didn't expect to be confronting Clovis this quickly. Yeah, nor did I. I, Spoilers, I did not expect the Clovis issue to be settled yet. And it is settled. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's going to get settled real soon. One, uh, a structural thing I want to comment, perhaps this is an excellent way to end our discussion of episode two, is that this is a series in which the ending and beginning of episodes are immediately adjacent. You know, from yes. episode one to two, we are in that room where the ma- the, the massacre and suicide occurs. Right. Good point. And in episode two and three, we will start with the confrontation. We'll end and start with the confrontation between Lelouch and Clovis. You have any feelings about this? I find this kind of off-putting. I really like series that are more episodic. In our Marin, we had discussed TNG as season one, and I think both Stephen and I commented positively about how that is a very episodic show. Uh, and I was just curious, because I, I find this annoying, to be honest. It's but ve- It's very Dickensian, ending on a very deliberate cliffhanger for each episode. It's it's a give and take, right? And and I, I know you could say this about everything, but mm. for me, um, on one hand, it it's, uh, it's the thing that I criticize like writers like Martin for, where... Um, it's your your interest in the book is driven by yeah. oh god what will happen you next gotta, you gotta turn that page right every time you end an episode like that it gives you an opportunity to leave you there right mm-hmm. like like episode two ends with Lelouch with pointing a gun at Clovis episode three ends with an, a, an alarming announcement on the news right but the problem is when you say you structure yourself in such a way that you have to end this way 
not everything is going to lead to that sort of twist, right? You just can't keep doing that over and over again. So I, at this point, I'm into it. I think they've done it well so far. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it continues because there's going to be one where it doesn't work and, and where you're going to be proven right in that regard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm not even saying that you're incorrect or there's like yeah, a, isn't a right or wrong. Right. But I, I do, so far... I'm, I think it complements the show, especially tonally. I'm, so far, I'm into it, but I'm ready for it to be like, Ugh, this wasn't All right. good. Like, like, you know, we talked about Best of Both Worlds and how they didn't have a payoff in mind. And when you watch part two, like I, I, I encourage everyone to load up part two, Best of Both Worlds, and, and watch how anticlimactic the next moment is. And you can see the downside of this kind of storytelling right then and there, you know? But yeah, but so you know, it looks like we're at this point we're we're just about out of out of fuel here, or in this case, money. So why don't we uh, pull back into our White Castle and uh, why don't we hear a couple messages from our sponsors here? Oh, why does he always hang up on me like that? Lloyd, yes, your highness. Can it win? Will your toy beat them? Hmm. My lord, please be so kind as to call it Lancelot. So uh, why don't we, 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 you know, we ended on a cliffhanger. Let's pick it right up on that cliffhanger with episode three. (laughs) These are good titles so far. The False Classmate. (laughs) Which, you know... Is it really correct, right? I mean, she is a classmate. Well, so that's the question. Is it referring to Colin or is it referring to Lelouch? Yeah. Uh, But in any case, uh, Lelouch (laughs) reveals his status being alive as a secret to the royal family. And demands Clovis reveal what he knows about the assassination of his mama, his mother. Clovis doesn't really know much more than the people who probably do know more. Lelouch, uttering that to change the world, you must get your hands dirty, kills Clovis with a bullet to the head. Meanwhile, high school life. (laughs) What is the school life show? (laughs) Somehow, Lelouch just remembers that he has a sickly classmate who has the exact same hair as the resistance fighter he helped assist. We are introduced to the individuals who will represent the high school part of Lelouch's life, including Shirley with orange hair, Millie with blonde hair, and also very inappropriate, rivals who we met before with the motorcycle, and Nina, who I'm sure is an innocent bookly character with no other character things that will happen in the future on positive we are also finally introduced to lelouch's younger sister nunnally and her maid caretaker sayoko we also at that point are introduced to lelouch's willingness to use his special eyes on any old person without any care about the effect it might have on them the show doesn't have any thoughts on this in the process of trying to kill two burns with one stone, gather info, and test his special eyes, the big dummy arrogantly reveals too much to Colin, and he she rightly suspects him of somehow being involved in the mysterious voice in Shinjuku. After some shenanigans, Lelouch is able to throw her off the trail. Suddenly, it was revealed on the news that Lelouch's boyfriend has been arrested for murdering Clovis. The irony! Yeah, that, that pretty much uh, brings I'm, us... I'm sure Suzaku will learn now that he can't trust the Britannians. Yes, I'm, this is, I'm sure he will understand <laughs> now the uh, corrupt nature that the, the, or the corrupt structure that the Britannians use in order to mm-hmm. reinforce their own positions of power. And at that point, you will begin to question whether or not he is lending his assistance to the right side. Right. I'm sure. Absolutely. Can't um, wait for that in the next episode. Um, in any case here, uh, we, we start right away with uh, Lelouch interrogating uh, Clovis, and it's a pretty intense scene. We uh, At this point, we see here that the uh, the special eyes are pretty infallible at this point. It, it just gets him exactly what he needs, which is that Clovis just doesn't know that much, right? 
And we see here the, the audience has shown the actual event where uh, the assassination was carried out on Lelouch's mother. It actually looks like the assassination was meant for Nunnally, mm. and uh, Lelouch's mother stepped in the way. That's what yeah, it seemed like. seems like, yeah. But that's the information as Lelouch understands it, so now that's how we understand it as an audience. And I'm not even saying that's going to change. I, again, want to emphasize, I know very, very little about the plot of this. Despite my, my foreshadowing in the summary, I know very, very little about the plot of this show. So we get introduced to, at this point, we cut away from the Clovis, uh, although I spoiled it in my summary, we cut away from the Clovis interrogation here. We don't actually see the end of this scene right away. No. What did you guys think about that? I think it, I think it was interesting. I like what they did in the end because at first I thought the show was just doing your usual cutaway before a gunshot. Right. right. That's sort of a common thing that's right. just done. Uh, but I really liked that they saved that moment for later because right before he shoots Clovis, he announces, you know, in so so many words that uh, his ends justify these means. Right. And when we come back to this uh, information later, uh, where, where Luch thinks about it again, we learn that he isn't digesting this as well as he wants to. Uh, which is which is good. I, I I'm glad that it gives Luch a, a slightly more human dimension than just sort of being a, a, a robot who is awesome. From a storytelling perspective, uh, you know what, Stephen? Why don't you go first? Oh, I agree. It definitely kept me a little more engaged because I was questioning. Oh, is he really dead? I don't know. For those ten minutes, I wasn't sure if Clovis was dead. So that also just uh, as a dramatic beat, it worked. I was in, invested. Uh, yeah, invested is the word I'll use. Invested in the show for the first ten minutes. There is a point of view. Um, that I could respect that um, this is the exact thing I criticized Martin for, that, that sort of page-turner thing where you, you, you in, continue to engage with the story just to know what happened in the next moment. But for me, for it to... Because it, it really doesn't keep you waiting for too long. It, it doesn't. It, it, it pretty much reveals exactly what you expect happened happened. And that sort of anticlimax into the reveal that, that Luch isn't handling it is really, really interesting. If if you were someone who is pushing against my perspective that the show thinks the Luch is too cool, you would you could put forward the scene as a counter argument, and I, I would relent to that. Unfortunately, the rest of the episode happens, so <laughs> your your point is is not as strong there. Unfortunately, so we do at this point get introduced to. I, I think the show will be pretty evenly split between the three lives of the Luch. Right, we will have high school Luch, we will have noble Luch, and we will have. Uh, a tuxedo mask Lelouch, whose name will eventually be Zero, but I'm not supposed to know that yet. Um, oh, yeah, and voiced by Johnny Bosch. Zero voiced by Johnny Bosch. Isn't that something, dude? That's incredible. I, wait till you see, dude. <laughs> that's that's some... Okay, so Steven Hero, um, Johnny Bosch, who voices Lelouch... Oh, I know in, who Johnny Bosch is. ...in Code Geass, is the voice of the Mega Man X character, Zero. Oh, we're talking... Okay, okay. I know we're talking about Mega Man. In... Various Mega Man X games, but most importantly for our purposes, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And here he will be taking on that identity again. And maybe we'll see some more lightning yeah, loops. Maybe we'll see lightning loops. It'll be exciting. <laughs> I'll show you lightning loops after the show. So we're introduced to the, the uh, normal school life anime stuff here. Um, and you know what? I'm into it. I'm into some of it. I'm into them talking about budgets for class activities. The one thing, obviously, I'm oh, not into is... I mean, how the horse riding club is going to get pissy with them? Yeah, that <laughs> infighting was great. I like those little details. I re- you know what's really... I, you, 
you know, I try not to comment on this too often, but it, usually I'm I'm watching the the dub with the subtitles on, and for the most part, I I disregard differences between those two. I just want to highlight this one just because it's really funny. Uh, the subtitle said, "We don't want them bursting here again." Pretty normal, like that's a fine meaning. I because this is something I like saying in the dub. Rivel says, "We don't want them coming in here on horseback," <laughs> <laughs> which is just. Like, A+. Plus. Rivals, Good job. Rivals is a very PMC character. Yeah, yeah. He definitely has that sort of approach to life, I feel like. But, Stephen, you were saying something about what you didn't like. Oh, the fan service, naturally. Yeah, the... Like, what is this show? And Okay. Millie's dialogue in particular, this is from the dub. She's talking to and about Shirley. That's not what I'm getting at. You're a 10, for what I've seen in the girls' bathroom anyway. Oh, my screen just shut down. You've been filling out in all the right places. This reminds me of the, the worst. Bottom. First off, this reminds me of anime in general, but also reminds me of like, the worst parts of Haruhi, a show I really like, with the character of Mikuro. How they will not only they will physically and verbally ogle her, the characters will just remark upon her features, and that just sucks. Yeah, I mean the problem is is that there there is a world where where teenagers are experiencing sexuality and they're under the pressure of you know all those influences in the world that cause us to think about these things in certain ways and sometimes in ways that are harmful to ourselves as developing adolescents. Often, yes. But this show very clearly here. And in the the shower scene later in the episode, isn't doing these things to characterize. It is doing these things. I feel like it's doing these things for for just ogling. Yeah, just like the worst parts. It's it's yeah. it's, it's unfortunately pervasive in anime in general. Yeah. But it also reminds me of like the a lot of the early scene. I mean, shitty stuff happens throughout, but the school scenes of Ava or even Persona naturally where the characters are usually the generally male writers are pandering to a very certain audience. Yeah. I, I think I sit firmly between y'all in this. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely agree with everything. Both of you had to say, uh, on one hand, all this stuff is pervasive in a way that is not addressed. Well, ever, you know, like you, you, there's a lot of discourse that that digs through it online, and people who who have problems with this discourse find it overwhelming, and and that's why to, they dismiss that sort of talk, right? Of like, oh, it's not addressed well, but of course it is. Everyone talks about it online all the time, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the works themselves, like that we still don't address this well, and and when because when we do it in in most works, it ends up being like the A Force scene in Endgame, right? Which is it making up for it? it it's the, the lady charge. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. A-Force is the name of the all-lady Avengers. I don't know. Yeah. So, but you can see how that's pandering in a bad way and not pandering in a good way. I think there's room in the world for young adult fiction to deal with this stuff because young adults will be dealing with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I do agree, and I sometimes think the criticism is a little too pointed or a little too, I don't want to use the word puritanical, but authoritative when it deals with this. Yes, I think there's a, a sort of lack of nuance. I will I, I will say, Kogias is not, this thing, the thing specifically with Millie, okay, so uh, this is where this is going to get tough. I, uh, I don't have a huge problem with the shower scene. I have a bigger problem with Millie. Okay. Um, and and we'll, when we get to yeah. the shower scene, we'll talk about it. Definitely. I um, can even tell you the point in the dub where it's too manufactured to pander to a demographic. It's, that's not what I was getting at your attempt. I, I agree. There should be room for teenagers to talk like this. No, Millie is bad. And, yeah. and the reason Millie is bad is because of this. It's, it's this boy thing of like – 
if a man said that, that'd be bad. But because she's a girl, she's allowed to be sexual in a way that would be, we would dismiss in boy like, er, you're not allowed to do that, boy. But since you're a girl, it's fine. Boys, men, young men, all men really think about this way about sexual dynamics, right? That there are these things that men would love to be able to get away with that they perceive women get away with all the time, right? That's what's going on in this Millie scene where it's kind of okay. Like we hear the characters afterwards talk about how they saw it as some negotiating technique where she put Shirley off of her game somehow by uh, uh, addressing her physical attributes in, in, like in, in public. And the way that they, they think that this is okay is that none of the characters react to this in a way that humans would. Yeah. Right. Like this is the, the, my big problem with this in general is that I, I don't have a problem with this as a storytelling thing with teenagers. I do think there's a lot of gross, sexualization that happens with Japanese works if teenagers in general but like it's, there's it's so hard to write natural teenage dialogue right right it's so so hard I'm even having trouble conjuring a similar scene that works in something else it's doubly hard in anime too when it goes through a localization pro- uh, process as well and just considering I'm making a generalization here but anime in general just the people writing these things sometimes it's just I can't even explain it more properly. I think Millie is pandering in a bad way where it's it's this this thing of like, oh, of course she's allowed to say that because she's also hot, right? There's that thing where people believe that attractive people get more leeway to do things than unattractive people do. And that's that's where I dislike that scene. The shower scene, I think, is more young adult and forgivable in a way. There's there's I could definitely see a like you know, and and this is also worth critiquing for sure. I could just see a espionage novel with this scene in it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I could see it like in a Bond film, like or and like and to me, like there's like I just wish it was reverse. We'll we'll talk about this when it comes to Colin all around, but like this show should be about her. She should be the main character and not Lelouch. Like she's the heroic character as far as I'm concerned, and I, and I wish that we knew more about her and her perspective like like the thing i will this i dislike about the shower scene is that once uh you know actually you know, why don't we get yeah we'll, we'll, we'll just get there. yeah move, my final word is i just wish the dialogue was less overwrought and mechanical and it's very subjective of course how people read dialogue and i just wanted a more naturalistic line i wanted to ask because i didn't watch the dub what does Lulich say in that, because because in the in the sub when he's about to pull the trigger, he he has that line that I referenced in in my summary. The in order to change the world, you have to get your hands dirty. Is that what he says? Effectively, yeah. Okay. I, I, well, there wasn't any substantial. Yeah, you can't difference. change the world without getting your hands dirty. Okay, so we we cut back to school life. Um, does um, Millie in the dub? Does she cast her gut spell? Yes. Was it very extra? Yes. Yes, that's what it seemed like in the in the dub. That's the sort of thing that that has a harder time working in the dub just due to performance differences in English and Japanese sorts of performances. Bondi is inappropriate towards Shirley. The this is when we get the reveal of Colin being someone who attends the Britannian Academy that Lelouch attends as a as a student. I'm okay with this being a. I made fun of it in the summary, but I'm I'm okay yeah. with this being a reveal. Like, it's fine. Of, I, I didn't pay attention to all the students in my class. <laughs> for <laughs> the premise that the show is setting up, where Lelouch is going to be leading these multiple lives, providing these overlaps is going to help create tension yeah. and reveals and move the plot. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I. This is what I wanted a little more from Gundam Wing. So yes. I'm glad we're getting it here. 
Um, I wanted a bit more meta, but I'll take what I can get. I mean, Zex is only 19. He could be in the Academy, <laughs> too, right? I don't even want to look up the ages of some of these characters. Mm. So um, <laughs> this is when we get that moment yeah. I called out in my summary where he's testing more of his special eyes. And he's arrogant in the way he uses it. And he gives away too much information to Colin without getting enough information that he wanted. Because uh, we see where he turns around and he tries it again. And she's like, you what, mate? <laughs> but... Uh, here, the next scene is one that I, I've been waiting for, uh, which is the introduction of Nunnally, uh, who is a character we've seen referenced in the intro. We've we've heard him reference Nunnally by name in the first episode. This is a character who Lelouch acts very differently towards than he does the, the rest of the characters in the show and the rest of the people we see him interact with. Uh, what was your guys' take on Lelouch towards Nunnally? I think it's interesting because it, it for the first time it gives us a, a dimension to his machinations, his machinations that uh, isn't just uh, revenge and justify the means. Uh, we're now seeing that he believes that, and that his plot is almost uh, systemic as much as personal because he believes that Anunnaly cannot be allowed to have a happy life when the possibility exists for them to be uh, tools or pieces in a royal game. And so we'll cast in that light. It isn't so much you wronged me, I'm going to wrong you. It's going to be your system is so wrong that I must destroy it. Right. It certainly adds a slightly more, another dimension to Lelouch's character. I just don't think the show's going to flesh it out, and I'll sacrifice it the first chance it gets when it could do something very flashy. Yeah, I think that I will, I really want to, I referenced this earlier, I want to give the show a lot of credit for adding this texture to Lelouch. I agree with Stephen Hero that it's a small thing that the show is going to choose not to emphasize versus his chess master bullshit. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, the chess master bullshit is what people like. Yeah, and they know it, too. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to point out, too, the very obvious symbolism of the crane. Like, if you haven't read a lot of literature, and birds in general usually mean flight or escape from, I don't know, debilitating, uncomfortable, or unfortunate situations. Yeah, Americans will probably recognize the the myth she references Mm -hmm. with the, uh, if you craft a thousand cranes, you'll get get a wish. There's... Mm. Plenty of post-war literature that references that sort of stuff that Americans would be familiar with. Yeah. Eastern, in Eastern literature, too, cranes can also signify purity. I mean, doves, of course, in Western literature. So keep, you know, at, you know, may moral purity as well. The symbolism is just so upfront that I can't help but comment on it. Right. No, we, That's we, not a bad thing, either. We talked about, I actually want to highlight, as trope guy, you know, we, we talked about the, how the semiotics of, of birds in Pat Labor 1 and 2 and how those both of those works use those images differently. And, and here... We have another work using a, a similar semiotic, this time one a craft to one with a sort of even more heavily emphasized vulnerability or, or delicate, you know, nature, like not only in her in her current state. Like that that's the sort of stuff that we as uh, you know, three critical people are sort of looking to chew into. And I and I wanna give it sometimes it's too much. This one edges towards that but i i, I was into it I, i'm i want to see more of nunnally i'm interested to see more of her story in this plot um even though i think she's going to be an object you know did you like that they're protected by the umbrella corporation yeah i mean i was curious about him living in the spencer mansion <laughs> yeah i was like oh it's owned by the ashford family Ooh boy Ooh. <laughs> I, I i definitely did make that, I didn't even make that connection at first yeah i was yeah. like uh-oh <laughs> 
Um, I mean, it definitely would explain some of the... So in this episode, we get... And I don't think we're there yet. Um, but we do get a uh, glimpse into Pizza Hut's circumstances. Yes. Because yeah, um, General Bartley, uh, who knows that his time is short realizes that he needs to cover up some of what would make things even worse for him. Right. No, and and something that the show in this episode is careful to show us is the fallout of Lelouch's actions, which is something that not many shows would go through the the motions of showing you. It's like, you know, who's the next guy down and the next guy down and the next guy down. Yeah, how these actions reverberate. Um, and we'll and we see a, a, a small moment between Crispin Freeman and Vallette yeah. uh, talk about Margrave Jeremiah. Yeah, Margrave Jeremiah, an extremely good name, extremely Crispin Freeman character name. Um, talk about what their plans are going to be moving forward, and we see the start of that later in the episode. Um, but we see the the capsule that she was in, and more capsules, and I, I would assume more Pizza Hut, more Pizza Hut, probably. Um, no. And uh, we see a a picture that of of what I assume are the the capture of the Pizza Hut people, or at least Pizza Hut herself. Um, uh, and we can see in the yes. image too there are like biplanes, right? Which puts us as Americans in mind of specific eras, yes. Right? So like World War One, yeah, you know that kind of thing, right? Because. By World War II, we weren't doing biplanes no more, right? No. We were not, no. Generally speaking, that's a 1910s, 1920s kind of that's thing. That's what I thought. I'm thinking like Red Baron. Yeah. I'm thinking like, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's more going on with Pizza Hut. And and like, I really hope we don't look back on referring to this character's Pizza Hut <laughs> too badly. I I'm, was just, I zoned out for a second. And then you said Pizza Hut. I just imagined them open the caps and like just juicy uh, pasta Alfredo. Yeah, exactly. Comes just, out. You know. Just, yeah. No, I was I was watching last night. Uh, I was at a, a friend's house with my partner, and we were watching some uh, some like sports program. And there was a Pizza Hut ad for like a weird, uh, very very en- over engineered calzone adjacent product. Interesting. It was seventh very, generation. Was it called yeah, the seventh generation calzone. The Lancelot. They hand, they hand you the USB <laughs> dongle. Yeah, it's a. Turn it on. They give you Seven a new uniform. Right. Generation <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, anyway, sorry. Yeah, so anyway, but I, I was like, oh, it's, it's Pizza Hut. This is making me think of Code Geass. Um, um, and, my, and the rest of the people there were like, what the fuck is Code Geass? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm getting... I'm sure someone in the back is like, yo, Lelouch. <laughs> <laughs> yo, my man, Lulu. Uh, but no, I, I'm getting super... <laughs> Wolfenstein vibes yeah. from the the and in a way that I'm I'm getting Valkyria Chronicles four. There's also very right. similar plot point. I could assume I don't know where the show goes. Same but. same deal though, basically of some kind of special folk or that, or even uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I didn't want to bring that up. See me case. after episode, y- y- chapter twenty. Yeah. Well, speaking of education, Stephen Hero, I need to get your input on the scene it happens a, to me all the time happens I'm very, to all, yeah. when i'm walking through the quad i'm very wary of you know uh, getting hit with the special eye loose looking motherfuckers <laughs> coming up to me asking you hey professor what are the exam topics so the whole purpose of the scene is it's a very uh, exposition heavy scene because Lelouch is just testing out the bounds he's confirming what he suspects 
is a uh, a nature of his power, uh, and the victim is this poor teacher. Yeah, I will say another good subtle use of world building too is the teacher's talking about the essay topics, and we get some great. This is like peak world right. building for me. The, I, the humiliation of Edinburgh, the transfer of the capital, and North and South war topics. And we also got that too during the classroom scene where I think there's the, I mean there's one where Callan is introduced, but there's also a later scene where Callan is suspecting that after. Uh, 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 Lelouch overplays his hand that the the voice from Shinjuku as or she's calling that character right now in her mind is one and the same with Lelouch as he lectures on about uh, I guess the stated reason why the Britannian aristocracy is good and, and normal right. because they are bred to be better or whatever. Sure. You know? And no, I think this is the best. This is show, don't tell, uh, world building. That's not best, but it's really good. Yeah. This is uh, what I wanted to see from Genlock. Yeah, Genlock yeah. needed to do this a lot more. Yeah. This sort of thing. <laughs> Poor oh. Genlock getting brought up every time. We're like, yeah, remember world building? <laughs> Genlock. Well, listen, this is, hopefully they're listening. Yeah. Hopefully they're hard at work at season two. Yeah. They're getting picked up for a lot of things. Not too I hard, see they're more. not paying all their animators. The working conditions are pretty bad. I just want to point that out. Oh, is that um, true? Rooster yeah. Teeth got some bad press for that? Or, yeah, it, it was know? kind of swept under the rug, okay. but uh, horrendous working conditions, overtime without pay, things like that. That's oh, really bad. Great. Cool, cool. Great world. Anyway, uh, the one thing I wanted to call out while we're talking about semiotics, where we're talking about visual storytelling, this is a little bit before, jumping mm-hmm. back a little okay. bit, um, not only makes Lelouch make a pinky swear, right? You know, uh, I meant, I've noticed that we haven't talked about Hunter Hunter in a little bit, so... Oh, well, of course. Go Gotta yes. fix that up. Uh, yeah, so in the very first episode of Hunter Hunter, uh, Gon makes a promise to Mito, his caregiver, uh, and in this moment... The the thing to understand is that his innocence is such that he takes this promise extremely seriously, and it and it drives me so to tears in this moment, right? Because of what she's letting go. Hunter Hunter is a very good show, and this innocence that 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 makes the the pinky swear this this solemn vow. I I'm curious because the Luch admits right away he's like. I'm gonna be eating some fucking fucking needles. <laughs> like I, I, this is not gonna work for me. Um, but he is able to in the narrative. We see the moment. We see him compartmentalize those ideas, right? Where he says to not only one thing, but understands to himself in another way. And I just liked this moment. There's a lot of texture to this character that I otherwise. I am comfortable criticizing. I wish the show was way more comfortable criticizing. Uh, so Colin and Lelouch at this point are being set up to confront each other, collide. duel Yes. Um, and so Lelouch being someone who, in, in my impression of him so far, is, is someone who just wants to get shit done, want to get shit out of the way. He's very Mr. Darcy in this way, or he doesn't want to do any of the, like, fufra. So he walks right up to her, and he's like... I'd like to talk to you in private. This is a very Austin moment. The fanfare and speculation from this fellow classmates when he asked Callan. This is good shit. Yeah. This, if, if, that's, that's the texture of like school life I really dig. This is the thing that, that we wanted from Gundam Wing. Is yeah. This sort of moment where the, the people who are not in the know about what's happening with the plot of the show are getting different information than we are because of the context they understand the moment to be in. Right? So they're seeing Lelouch, a popular, intelligent... I assume good-looking in that universe. Sure. I'm not casting any... Whatever. People who are into Lelouch as, a, as an aesthetic object, go for it, who, man. Who is the most handsome young man on this show? Suzaku. 
Yeah, I would say Suzaku. Suzaku, okay. Yeah, Suzaku. Uh, runner up, I guess, right now, Jeremiah, maybe. Oh, Jeremiah's. I like his. Uh, Jeremiah's got a got a yeah. macho thing, like yeah. a handsome, like like he, he just I like definitely. Chris I want to. I want to give Rivels a dark horse candidate vote. Oh, that's fair. Rivels, he I, seems like nice. I think Rivels is a nice boy. His, yeah. his dub's funny. Yeah. He said like fell on my ass and just yeah. like out of nowhere. He's funny. Yeah, he just. My concern is that he would be a secret homophobe. Uh, yeah, no, no, style. no. That'd be my concern. That is Yosuke the trope. style. Yeah. 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 So in any case, now that we're done talking about the cute boys in class, right. um, we, uh, the, you know, and uh, surely we're seeing here is experiencing some friction about what she perceives to be Lelouch paying a lot of attention to this this other girl. Yeah, she called him out earlier from the window. Um, yeah, no, well, even the moment we're about to see where um, they're interrupted before what I assume their, their you know, epic shonen battle was about to take place, um, uh, suddenly the entire fucking school council shows up to cockblock or seemingly cockblock it. They think they're employing a cockblock, I believe, but because this isn't a thing that was going to happen, right, until these two wanted to be alone in this area, this, like, welcoming Colin to the school council thing. This is definitely a ploy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is a teenage, we gotta interrupt this, because they're looking for some random data Right, upstairs, they've got, like, a then... microchip that's just, like, on the carpet or y- something? Y- like, yeah. how did that get there? Yeah, this is, this is, yeah. uh, this is a kind of, this is like when you have a mutual friend who isn't someone who typically is on the lookout for some kind of romance, and it suddenly seems like something is randomly happening, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and you just need to investigate? Um, I enjoy the the separate from the plot plot of the the machinations of the noble houses of Britannia and, and how they are continuing to use the oppressed societies of Japan. There is still this anime bullshit that I'm super into. So uh, the uh, rivals takes out a champagne bottle so we can have some champagne comedy. Right. Um, Essential. Uh, champagne comedy is good because it is phallic. Uh, and this this is a very easy setup for shenanigans, which yeah. I described here. So this is with a shower scene. Shower scene, I is blatant as all hell. Let me it, get out my slow organ and trumpet samba, right? To un, to score this scene exactly. It is a blatant young adult setup, which is kind of why I don't have a huge problem with it. I think that obviously this is not a scene you would very commonly see reversed. Right, you you wouldn't very. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say never because uh, especially Mecha shows will do this. Xenogears did this. You, you remember? There's a scene in. Yeah, I know you remember. There's a scene where uh, I'm to think. I love it. that scene. So Holy just, shit! So so um, the two main characters, Faye and Ellie, are able to escape to. It's her parents' house. Her parents' place yeah. in. Solaris. Solaris, thank you. Yeah. I almost called it Shavat. Um, Shavat's a different. Can we place. put in some Shavat music right now? <laughs> so he escapes his parent place, and you know they've been on the lamb for a while. So they they decide to rest up and take a shower. And Faye is careful to give Ellie privacy. Ellie not careful to give Faye any privacy. Extremely good moment. Uh, Ellie is like this throughout the game. I'm trying to think of another example. I'm not saying that this makes this okay. Right, because like as as Stephen Hero was discussing, this is prevalent in a way that is frustrating, right? Because, Especially with the design of Callan too. Right. Who is drawn, but let's be clear, as a an adult 
woman right. and, and not a teenager. Yeah, I mean, this that's the a, thing. Is I, I think what, you, what you're saying about the premise of the scene being appropriate for a young adult espionage sort of thing, I'm on board with. Right. Right. Because it's really, it's how she's drawn. It's the visuals. It definitely, yeah. again. And, and where we're, our view is framed. Yeah. Especially as the scene goes on, just some of those shots. I will say the, the premise, my not having a problem with the premise of the scene disappears at the end. Right. So, so what happens at the scene is that. Um, Colin is engaging in some psychological warfare here. She is, in my opinion, using the young adult situation, trying to use it to her advantage, right? So she's like, hand me my adorable yeah. little mini purse there. Not a pocket knife, while, but a pouch knife. While I'm in the nude, and which if you were a decent person, obviously you are trying to avoid seeing my nude form, which, you know, Lelouch is playing into. And so he's she's got him, yes. like like thoroughly got yep. him got he's fucking yeah. got right now right and he is able to escape due to some subterfuge that i don't understand how he could have possibly have set up but it's fine i'm i'm let's not let's not interrogate it too deeply honestly because right because we would have to examine more rules of the power to actually say that and it the amount work. of time that's passed yeah. and the yeah. like, real quick so if i have this demon eye special eye and i yeah. use it on you i could use it only once in my lifetime on you or like does it expire? show's not clear yet show's not clear yet. all right yeah my assumption based off of dota 2 which is how i approach all problems in my life which is why i'm so successful is that it is a a cooldown or a um diminishing returns situation where if you wait a period of time, I'm sure probably he could do it again mm-hmm. or some other kind of I'm, I'm sure Pizza Hut or the specter of Pizza Hut will return and explain some of these things to us. Uh, I can't imagine this character would be in the intro and then never again. Yeah, um, that's hard to believe. Um, so although not impossible, <laughs> the intro, you know, what thing I see in the intro every time, but <laughs> well, that's true. Yes, <laughs> but. Uh, also that we see we see Suzaku show up in the school group and so now I'm just waiting for Suzaku to yeah. show up in class. There's um there's a lot of discourse in anime and people who con- who are concerned about spoilers about watching intros and because of how little concern there is about spoilers in the intros and and like the episode descriptions and stuff like that. Like I know people who remove episode previews and intros and uh, and I just can't live that life. Whatever. There's too many good intros. Yeah, yeah. there's too many good intros. Uh, too many good intros, and like, I mean, plus it asks. It, it, I like those lingering questions, like, who was that guy? Who was that girl? Yeah. Right. So, oh, it's the guy from the opening. I mean, it's a part of the art in a sense. How the intro teaches us about the show. It's right. just a further artistic decision. Where it's fine. Right. Exactly. And it can make you. It can prepare you for something and surprise you in its execution. Sometimes there's a lot of interesting world building in openings that's never even addressed in the show itself. Right. Not also saying not called DS, but other shows. Or it's just a fucking banger. Yeah. Yeah, just a bang. Yeah. Like, looks good. Can you, like, 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 can you imagine? Yeah, the English never, dub of Freckles. Never he- hearing that, <laughs> the, or or never hearing the intro to the Helsing TV show. Yeah, like, Ooh. like if you miss that intro, like that's the only good thing about that show <laughs> and the first couple episodes. Um, in any case, uh, uh, we we get this scene and it's it's going in a in a tense, fun way, right? Where you're you're trying to guess how Luluch is going to resolve this, um, and he does by using his special eye to have Sayako play a recording of Lelouch doing his, his cool zero voice uh, on a, one of those uh, walkie-talkie things you could buy in the 90s that could change your voice. I turn against this scene in the moment where Colin is suddenly shy about her nudity that, yeah, with Lelouch. That's a real glaring red the, flag. If, if, 
And I wouldn't have a huge problem with it if we didn't turn and see that she was sincerely embarrassed because she's blushing, right? We, we see her physically blushing. If she was doing a bit more because now she's learned this isn't a suspicious person, I need to... I need to pretend. I need to, to do be, my bit. Some yeah, more. to be just be a normal schoolgirl. Then, then I I would be into it again because she's right. she's. But like, I, there's this thing right where, like, despite the fact that as an audience, I understand her to be more than meets the eye. She is a physically capable. She is a soldier who, it, who I would say is definitely more competent than Lelouch. But the show disagrees because we've seen her fail over and over again, and Lelouch be just constantly successful this is what i mean by visuals matter more because even though the logic of the story is she's already a soldier she's already fighting in a a revolution she's already been in a mech in the shit doing stuff Mm -hmm. and all the leech has done is ride their coattails and give orders basically but the leech is the cool one and she's kind of a, a dingus who gets fooled and is embarrassed by her butt you know and this is where it lost me in that bit right because that it's a that's when it becomes serving. Yeah, she's the, beholden to the male gaze at that point, right? And this is where it becomes the the harem thing, right? Because we're we're already setting this up of Lelouch and Shirley, Lelouch and Colin, and I'm sure there was going to be a Lelouch and like other revolutionary or Britannian or. Um, I believe there is a character we'll be introducing later who will be... And then, of course, there's Suzaku, right? And all those... And I think we'll see that, that Lelouch will have very little compassion for the attached female characters in his periphery. And we've already seen him express a lot of compassion for Suzaku. I'm just curious to see how this continues. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't... This scene is bad and it... it was close to being fine. Yeah, no, I, I do think, yeah, I think saying that this is a lot closer to being fine than the other scene yes. is something I can definitely sign on. Yes, I, I think that there's, it, we we can have conversations about like Sheets of Grey, but we have to acknowledge how much of this is ultimately contributing to a general badness where a lot of people who would generally be interested in this topic are made to feel uncomfortable unnecessarily. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my main objection, mm-hmm. is yeah, that the yeah. less people who feel cool watching a cool mech show is bad. Yeah. People should like cool robots. Right, yeah. If, if something really should have a broad tent, then you have to ask yourself why a lot of the default costumes in Street Fighter V are softcore porn. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, Street Fighter V, not really supposed to be a porn game. Right. Uh, and I even have in the notes here, Lelouch and Colin have this discussion in the shower more for young adult reasons and semiotic reasons. Did you like... I? Um, one of the things I wanted to call out, because I, I forgot you weren't watching the dub PMC, uh, when uh, Lelouch hands Colin the, the phone in the shower, she, of course, it. goes... Motion, 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 motion. <laughs> I, I gotta find that video and just put it in this shit, folks. There's a there's an old internet video where some man has a like wrist mounted gadget and he puts his phone on it and he just walks around repeatedly trying to flick the phone out using his wrist gadget and answer the phone. It keeps motion. screwing up, but of course, every time he does it, he says in the most hilarious words, "Mushy, mushy." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's I don't, I don't, I. I I couldn't even tell you how to search it. I'll try and find it maybe and tweet it out on the, the Mechanations pod Twitter. So we, we, we were, it's revealed that he used Ayako to uh, employ for the Scambit. Um, the show, I, I mentioned it in the summary. And if the show 
interrogates it. I'll be happy to eat crow about it. Um, he is really blatant about subverting people's free will and the show doesn't seem to care. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and, not that important. At no like, point does. No. No, you know what? That's, that's what I say <laughs> to that. Not a chance. I wonder if Kukias will interrogate this. Not a chance. <laughs> yeah, <complete laughs> not a chance. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, PMC. What were you saying? Well, uh, I. Oh shit! I think it's gone, man. It's fine. It's it's you know? right. The show, though, at this time, at this point, anyway. Yeah, it never interrogates that because one of the things that I would love to know the visual of when he activates his special eyes suggests that your brain is being rewired. That's what it looks like. Like it looks like brain damage. <laughs> and typically, if you're doing something that causes brain damage to people that are you know like think about the people he does maybe some of them maybe honestly maybe they're teachers you wouldn't really care about right but uh if you do it to you know the the domestic help that you rely on to take care of your sister right if you're doing it to perhaps the most important rebel in your plan to take vengeance upon britannia right you know any of these sorts of situations obviously you're not going to care about clovis uh but you're you are going to be concerned about some of these people and for him to be not even voicing that, right? Because he's so voicing how does this power work. Right. He never voices what harm am I causing. Right, because there's a tension in someone who is good receiving this power, right? That That's the... So we've been getting a lot of fiction. I promise this is not the Ignis Maddox complains about media he doesn't like show. <laughs> Um, but we've been getting a lot of... Well, it's because we talk about Hunter Hunter. Right. That's true. It can't be that. So um, it, it, we've been getting a lot of fiction that is critical of superheroes, right? And good. Who, who watches The Watchmen? So so good, though, right? Because yeah. superheroes at their core is a weirdly fascist idea. So we, we should be yeah. digging into that and acknowledging it and, and figuring out the appeal to people who aren't necessarily under the belief that, that a person should rule over other people, usually a man over everyone else. The core interesting thing about a superhero is the idea of an empowered person who could use that power for personal gain, choosing instead to help the community. That's the core yep. value of a superhero, correct? Yes. Um, and so you have all these pieces of fiction that are interrogating that, um, you know, the boys is strictly about this. Yep. Uh, recently, Brightburn was released, and, and that is a superhero, a Superman story where the core tenet is what if Superman was bad. Uh, the reason I, I bring all of this up is because it is important to... When you when you have stories like this, the, the core drama of how a character uh, arrives at the choice to use that power for good is one that as a Western society, we have been trained to expect as a given from protagonists. And so the, the, the core drama, the, the real like problem with that, that is, is tough to communicate, right? People have a harder time understanding that it's easier to do the ethical, or it's harder to do the ethical. Usually the ethical right way to go about a thing is the difficult, messy, like like unhelpful way to do it. That usually the right way to do a thing is tough and and thankless, and you you won't get recognition for it. And the fact that Lelouch and Light Yagami and characters like him are handed these powers and are 
blasé about how they use them and not critical not thinking about Lelouch doesn't even stop and go oh I'm I am I have changed who these people are right like and and I'm not saying he necessarily could understand that preternaturally he's not seeing I assume the visualization that we the audience are getting right where we see him hack into the planet and and like literally like 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 rearrange what looks like wires in the brain and come back out the fact that he doesn't think about this for even a moment and the show doesn't like how, how is the show possibly going to interrogate that right like there's never going to be a moment where a character can set out and say like in all five of these episodes you uh brain blasted fucking 16 people like how would anyone know that right like the Lelouch isn't going to do that it's just as an audience member i'm thinking about so uh, there is a podcast that the McElroy brothers do called The Adventure Zone. And one of the later plot points that we learn in The Adventure Zone, spoilers, spoiler <sighs> warning for The Adventure yeah. Zone, spoiler warning for The Adventure Zone, is that one of the characters erased many of the other characters' memories. I find this, to me, this is the equivalent of murder. You have, you have killed some people, and you've told them that they are other people and put them somewhere else. You killed them. And you did this without their consent. This is a horrifying thing to do to another human being. The narrative doesn't treat it this way. You know, I, I find this to be critically a, an issue. Not everyone has the same problem with this story beat. We, we know personally people that don't feel this way. But this is this puts me in mind of that, right? Of th- that sort of thing is terrifying that someone could have that sort of uh, uh, ability to arrest you of your the, the things that allow you to have thoughts right the 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 <laughs> i almost said fucking backers darkness that comes before um, but the the but yeah. you understand right like you know you understand where i can't let that go in my mind mm-hmm. where where he's engaging in this stuff and like I'm sure audience members are also thinking about this. I can't be the only person who's thinking about this sort of stuff existing. So I just wish the show would acknowledge that. Yeah. It would help right. me feel better. Yeah. As someone who's engaged. And, and not to feel better or like, oh, now I can get behind the looch. It'll help me feel better as someone who's engaging with this plot, right? And sort of like, there's this, uh, there's this thing where people online sometimes have a harder time engaging with, with problematic work because it almost feels like you're consenting to their problematic nature right like you somehow are uh uh condemned in this by enjoying or or engaging with this work um even though i don't think that's true necessarily but like i definitely have a personally have a hard time shaking that sometimes when i'm watching something like code gas but i'm still in it for character i feel like especially these two episodes have really uh and the way that this one ends with uh uh suzaku right uh, being arrested for um, Lelouch's actions is a great uh, dramatic beat, an excellent sense of irony. You know, yeah, it shows how obsessed with class the Britannians are because they specifically mention that an, a now honorary Britannian that only happened recently when he was elevated to pilot the Nightmare, and just how obsessed they are with like bloodlines and class. Well, I do believe this is what. Um, what was his name? Manfred Belgrave? Crispy's Margrave. name? Margrave Jeremiah. Margrave Jeremiah. Thank you very Thank much. You. Um, I believe this is what he was referring to when Valette mentioned purebloods. I imagine that those two are from Britannia, 
and that uh, Suzaku is a Japanese volunteer for the Britannian forces, mm-hmm. who, in a very Roman way, has achieved citizenry through service. Yeah, well, no, because he can. I think only pure bloods can pilot the nightmares. Right. Um, That's so, why he has that new outfit too. Yes. Uh, so as we as we foreshadowed earlier, next time we will be learning more about Suzaku's situation, and, and I'm sure. This will open Suzaku's eyes to the truth of the Britannians. Absolutely. Suzaku will understand the Britannians are bad. Yes. Yeah, it's a clamp show, so we're obviously going to... Well, it's not a clamp show, but clamp help. So we're going to the Tokyo Tower. It's <laughs> in every clamp show. <laughs> Literally. Well, and I can't say that definitively, but uh, 80, at least 80%. I mean, that seems right. I, I can't think of the specific instances in uh, fucking uh, Chobits or... Um, I'm sure I can look it. I'll look it up and see. Magic Knight Ray Earth. It's definitely a Magic Knight Ray Earth. They use it to teleport to their magical world in Magical in Magic Knight Ray Earth. I yes, think. it's def- It's very prominent in X, and it's also in Card Captors. It's definitely in a Card Captors movie. I know that for yeah. a fact. The but I can't remember for the action figure show. What was it? Angelic Layer. Can't remember, and I can't remember for Chobits. Chobits. It seems likely Chobits is a romance, so I could see that. You know, but. Uh, so yeah, that that kind of leaves us for next time where we in my notes I had in all caps LOL they blame Suzaku LOL yep um, yep <laughs> but next time we're we're gonna figure out what's going on there and uh, see where this plot takes us it yeah. seems like uh, Lelouch is setting himself up to have some kind of relationship with the rebellion mm-hmm. against uh, the you know the forces of the Britannians it seems like uh, there will be some forces on the Britannian side that will cause friction for whatever plans that he has. Isn't even necessarily just Britannians fighting back. It seems like there's another... Yeah, isn't it? Well, yeah, like the Praetorian Guard have now uh, kind of done... Right, there's clearly internal squabbling, you know, given the the Pizza Hut situation. Right. Given the pure blood thing versus other levels of service, right? The elevens who are volunteering. My lord, it's the pizza. It's <laughs> my, lo- my, my lord, lord the, it's urgent. I have the, to talk to you. Not, pizza- not now, Hans. It's Some, the pizza- someone pizza delivered the pizza hut. <laughs> it's the. Pi- they whispered in the. It's the pizza hut situation. <laughs> Grab my notes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that we'll meet next time to discuss that, and hopefully we'll get to see some more mechs. I yeah. want to see more of Lloyd. I'm terrified of him. Uh, I want to see more of uh, the Rebellion. I would like to learn that they're not all morons, uh, that the show is going to keenly make fun of for the rest of time. Uh, you know, and hopefully the, the Suzaku situation doesn't end in a way that is brutally frustrating, which is... What I'm preparing for. Yep, same. Yeah, yeah. what I'm preparing for. Uh, and if you want to be brutally frustrated, you can also read our Twitter account, at uh, MechanationsPod. Uh, yeah, and I believe we're we're all starting to have a little bit more of a internet presence. Yeah. I have revived my Twitter account Ooh. at uh, the... Well, right now the handle is Adam P. Windjammer. I still have no Twitter account. Yeah, still has no Twitter account. I've been some of the Mechanations Pod tweets recently have been authored by uh, by Stephen Hero, including the Hamlet one, the words, words, words. words. <laughs> um, uh, so you can also find me at PMC Trilogy. I am doing a thread of uh, some some live at, live code Geass takes uh, that I will be updating as I go along. Is that pinned currently? Is that how they can find uh, it? Or it, no? it is not pinned currently. Um, I, I mean. It, 
I'm actually that's a good question. Uh, well, but because right now I have pinned all my my you know my social right. Media, obviously, uh, that's things. probably the thing. Yeah. Pin, yeah. No, we'll we'll figure it out. I think we might. What we might do too as well, especially if uh, if Ignis uh, starts a, a thread of of you know thoughts on it or anything that he wants to share, uh, we might make a tweet for the Machinations Pod account that will link to those threads. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that sounds like so some the, SEO bullshit. Some, some SEO nonsense. Some real real intensify the brand. And of course, if you also want to help the brand and you know if your podcast service has any sort of uh a five starring or other other mechanisms for uh you know expressing your your favorable opinions uh please do so if you have other friends who like mech podcasts you know we have working on code geass we have you know season one gun wing in the back we have season one genlock in the back we have the pat labor early days ova and the pat labor movies one through three that you can all listen to and enjoy wow when you put it like that it seems like a lot of stuff i know yeah, we've done I a know. lot of stuff wow it's content so I'm not we're nearing our one year anniversary of coming together to what talk about fuck? making a podcast. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Wow. Cool. So uh, certainly feel free to enjoy all of that. Reach out to us through our, our Twitter, and uh, we'll see you next time for a Mechanations uh, covering Kogias episodes four and five. That's right. I was one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox. Stephen Hero. And PMC Trilogy. <laughs> Split.